topic today is happiness and joy. Slightly different, but clearly similar. When I was given the opportunity to speak several, several weeks ago, um, and they told me the topic that I could have a choice to speak on is happiness and joy, I thought to myself, okay, very good. I tend to be pretty optimistic. Um, I like to enjoy my day. I like to laugh. And so I'm hoping that all of you have come today with a sense of uh, congregation participation. Um, there will be some things that I think if you participate with me, it will be a lot of fun. It will be a lot of happiness. You will not forget it. Um, you probably won't fall asleep. And hopefully there will be a blessing in- included. So two terms, happiness and joy. The loose definition of happiness that I like, happiness is a temporary feeling based on temporary circumstances that we deem favorable to either ourselves or to those we care for. I feel happy. Or, I'm happy for you. Very common, but pretty short-lived for the most part. Joy, on the other hand, by contrast, is something that is deeply fulfilling as an experience. It's giving of yourself in a way that you can never take back and that you can never be repaid for, ever. It's just give. Joy is known, it is understood, it is experienced, and it is lasting. It is different than happiness. How many of you remember that song as a child? I need you to participate with me here. If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. Oh, it's two, not four. It's just... See, it's been a while, huh? See? If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. If you're happy and you know it, then your face will surely show it. If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. Now it's practice. Now look, 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 look around. All of a sudden, we, what do we have on our faces? People are laughing and feeling kind of weird and smiling. <laughs> right? Why is it that that, at six years old, is cute? At 16 years old, it's embarrassing at best. And at 60, if you're doing it, you're probably leading out six-year-olds. Why? Why does it stop? Why does that happiness tend to fade? Return with me in your minds to childhood. Those of you familiar with the uh, author Mike, uh, Mike Iaconelli, he's no longer living, but this book, Dangerous Wonder, some of you have read this book, some of you have heard this book, I've read it a couple times, um, various places, various things. He talks about being a six-year-old child. I like him because he matches my personality. He's lucky, well, most of his life he was lucky to be alive, much like me. But it's a place all children know about. Just listen, close your eyes, go back to that childhood experience that some of you will no doubt understand. Question, where does the six-year-old go by the time they're 16 or 60? What happens? When I was six years old, my favorite comic book character was Superman. I admired his strength, his x-ray vision, his colorful uniform, and his bright red cape. What captured my imagination most was Superman's ability to fly. Many of my childhood fantasies were about flying. I wanted to fly. I honestly believed flying was 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 a possibility. I would talk to my friends about playing Superman. They would play for a while, but then they'd get bored because I had to be Superman because I knew more about flying than they did. This is where I start to live, right here. Sneaking into my parents' bathroom. And those of you smiling know exactly where we're headed. Sneaking into my parents' bathroom, I would find a stash of the forbidden towels, the thick 
nice new ones that were reserved for the guests. That cupboard, right? Once outside, the towel was tied around my neck and was dragging in the dirt behind me. I would run as fast as I could and jump off the highest safe place and land. With my arms outstretched, the cape was billowing behind me. The wind was passing my ears and I believed that I was flying. And then came a day without warning, without provocation and I woke up never to wear the cape again. Whatever the knowledge came, wherever the knowledge came from, it came nonetheless. And from that moment on, I knew flying was nothing more than a childhood fantasy. I would never fly. And there was no Superman. In retrospect, my day of enlightenment was a very sad day. I know now that something inside me died that day. Whatever that something was, it was the stuff of dreams and imagination, the place where dancing and singing and laughter and playing lived. Even at six, I understood that the possibility of flying wasn't the point. It was the aliveness I felt when I thought I could fly. It was that voice I heard deep inside, a warm and loving voice, a living, believing voice, a wild and dangerous voice. Every time I heard that voice, I recognized who it was. It was God. But that day, when I was just six years old, my God hearing started to go bad. There is deep within all of us a voice. It speaks continuously, knocking on the doors of our consciousness. When we are children, the voice is very loud. It shatters our awareness with overwhelming clarity. Its loudness is not like a train or a jet engine. It just shouts to us with a whisper. This voice of our childhood is the voice of wonder and amazement, the voice of God, which has always been speaking to us. But then one sad day, we are aware of its absence. We no longer hear the voice. We are left only with silence. But it's a roaring silence nonetheless. We did not want to stop hearing God's voice. Indeed, God kept on speaking, but our lives became louder. The increasing, the increasing crescendo of our possessions, the ear-piercing noise of our busyness, and the smoldering, soul-smoldering volume of endless activity drowned out the still, small voice of God. Most of us can't say when it happened. We only know that it happened. When we became aware of the absence of God's voice, there were a thousand deaths within us. Idealism and innocence died first. And then across the scarred terrain of our souls, one can see the withered remains of dreams, spontaneity, poetry, passion, and ourselves, our real selves, what we were supposed to be. What happened? What happened to our aliveness? How could we grow up and accumulate 12 to 15 years or even more of education? How could we get married and have children and work for decades and never really live? How could we begin our lives with clarity and passion, wonder and spontaneity, yet so quickly find ourselves in the middle or at the end of our lives, dull, bleary-eyed, listless, and passionless? The death of the soul is never quick. It is a slow dying a succession of little deaths that continues until we wake up one day on the edge of God's voice, on the fringe of God's belovedness. We seem to be beyond the adventure of God's claim on our lives. If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. The only other thing I'll read as far as the story, The Life You've Always Wanted, John Ortberg. He makes a contrast between 
how we live our lives and how he sees God living in the heavens, the God of joy living in the heavens. And he talks about it in terms of the creation. And so when I say this, and God said, this is what I want you to do. Okay? And God said, and this is what you will do. And you only do it three times. <sighs> that will have to do. Okay? And God said, <sighs> that will have to do. Okay? Not too much energy. It's more... Okay? It's not happy. All right? Imagine now you're not a child. We're at the creation of the world. Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, it was 9 o'clock. So God had to go to work. He filled out his requisition to separate light from darkness. He considered making stars to beautify the night and planets to fill the skies, but thought it sounded too much like work. And besides, thought God, that's not my job. So he decided to knock off a little early and call it a day. And he looked at what he had done, and God said, ah, That'll have to do. On the second day, God separated the waters from the dry land, and he made all the dry land flat, plain, and functional, so that, behold, the whole earth looked like Idaho. <laughs> he thought about making mountains and valleys and glaciers and jungles and forests, but he decided it wouldn't be worth the effort. And God looked at what he had done, and God said, oh, That'll have to do. And God made a pigeon fly in the air. And he made a carp to swim in the waters. And a cat to creep upon the ground. And God thought about making millions of other species, all sizes and shapes and colors, but he couldn't drum up any enthusiasm for any of those animals. In fact, he wasn't even too crazy about the cat. Besides, it was almost time for the late show. So God looked at what he had done and God said, That'll have to do. And at the end of the week, God was seriously burned out. So he breathed a big sigh of relief, and he said to himself, Whew, thank me, it's Friday. <laughs> of course, Genesis doesn't read that way. In the beginning, God said, let there be light, and there was light. How many of you remember as a child you did something, or now as a parent or a grandparent, the little ones do something, and it's really fun, and they say, do it again. You know what I'm talking about? Okay? You flip them around after they've eaten, and they don't realize they're getting sick, and they're like, do it again! Okay? And so you do, until you have a problem, and so on. And, you know, those kinds of things. Orpah continues, he talks about God as being this kind of, do it again, kind of God. Think about how many sunrises he has made. Think about how many sunsets he has made. Think about how many snowflakes he has made. What kind of a factory is that? Let's do it again. And there was evening and there was morning. And God said, it's good! Woo! Do it again! And it was evening and it was morning. And God said, it's good! Woo! Do it again! Six days and the seventh day he said, Woo! Come and sit with me. Let's do it again. How do you see God? 
Is he a time clock? Or is he eternal? Outside of time. It's funny when we try to make people happy. Things don't always go the way, things do not always go the way we intend. We try to do things to impress others or we try to do things to impress ourselves. Three quick stories from my own life. Once upon a time I was in high school. Uh, a little while ago in my life. And some of you have heard this story, so just smile and nod, and the rest of you can enjoy it for the first time. Um, I was dating a young lady, and I thought she was just absolutely awesome. And she's very traditional, and very non-risk oriented, and very um, enjoys, you know, enjoys stuff that is calm and cool and collected. Loves to laugh, but is just kind of more reserved in those areas. Not cold, just reserved. And she's sitting right here. And I thought to myself, oh, it's Easter. Why not do a little something different? So in all my brilliance at 17, right? Genius at 17. I go down to the store, costume shop for Easter. And to make the story short, full. Bunny suit. Head. Not those cheap ears either. No, no, no. Full mass, buck teeth, like the whole bit. Okay, huge ears. All right, that whole thing. I think, oh, it's going to be great. I'm going to take her out to dinner. And we're going to be like, yeah, come on. I'm going to take her out to dinner. It's going to be awesome. We're going to be like the focal point of everybody. All these other guys are going to be like, oh, man. I didn't do anything special. Here's your flower. <laughs> you know, I'm going to be like, that's right. Gloves, feet, right? The suit, I got the biggest one I could find. The suit was a little bit short. So it was like, right here, and you couldn't really sit comfortably, so it was going to be a bad night anyway. And then the head was a little small, little small too, so it was like right here. And the, the sleeves were like this, and a little white gloves. Had a basket, had like the green, what's that stuff called? The tinsel, the green Easter tinsel stuff, thingies. Yeah, fake grass, okay. And uh, little chocolates, little chocolate eggs. And I'm so excited. Inside the mask, you can't see my face, but I'm like, <laughs> and, the, and the bunny looks about the same. <laughs> okay? And so, comes through, I go to the door, because I'm jazzed. I'm excited. It's going to be different. It's going to be unique. Everything's going to be on point. Okay? Screen door, front door. Mom and dad are home, and she is there as well, which was good. Uh, so, door opens. Okay? Not quite that big. Okay? And I'm standing there. Okay, my face is matching the bunny's face because that's what people do if you ever watch puppeteers. Okay, boom. Her face is like... <gasps> and you just see like every balloon known to man of emotion is just like... <sighs> and it was like, what are you doing? And, I, and I'm inside my mask, the, the bunny's like, oh, right? And I'm like, oh man, was this a bad idea? Oh man, oh man, oh man. You mean we're probably not going to go out to eat right now because she's not going to, oh man. So she, I was invited in actually instead of showing the door. And her mom happens to be a little bit more of a prankster and stuff like She was in like, I think in the living, in the doorway, just laughing, laughing, laughing. Her dad was like, is that the best you can find, really? Is that all you guys? A man dressed as a bunny? Come on! I raised you better than that! And the mom is just like, ah! I'm embarrassed. And I ask her, so do you want to go out? And she, she just shut me down fiercely. No. 
come and sit down. So I have a picture of it. We couldn't find it because we just moved. Otherwise, I would have shown it to you. But just really, like her in like her high school and me. But as a high school senior, I mean, uh, as a high school student, you know, you spend 60 bucks. That's a lot of money. At least it was in my world. And so 60 bucks for a costume that's like a flat dud. The next day, I didn't even care. I, I wore the thing to school, and I gave, I gave candy to everybody on campus. I didn't even care. <laughs> I'm like, who is that? Who is that? <gasps> it's Chip. What a moron. Oh, my God. Okay, so those kinds of things. Super, super nice times. Okay? That's silly things to try to make somebody happy. Temporary. <laughs> Depending on the circumstances. Secondly, and quickly, she and I went to San Francisco a number of times. Um, I'm more of a country person. Cities scare me. People in cities scare me. And um, if you've ever been to San Francisco down by Pier 39, or down here to San Diego where they have kind of like those people that do those amazing and kind of strange things, um, I'm thinking the whole time, we're going to die. <laughs> so I'm tense on the inside. On the outside, I'm trying to make the man points, like, no, we're good. But on the inside, boom, boom. My heart is just pounding. I'm terrified. So I'm seeing now, back about three or four rows back, I see this person. All right? And I don't know if I can do this so you all can see. i got to go quickly. Okay? This guy, he's huge, first of all. Okay? He's a behemoth. He's just monstrous. He's sitting like this. And he has, like, palm fronds from somebody's yard around his head. And then a band of here and a band here. So he looks like this potted plant, all, like, quiet like this. And I'm like, what is going on? And so he says, he doesn't say anything. I move, excuse me, I have the hiccups. I move over and take Trina with me a little bit. I'm on the inside, he's like by the music stand. And you know when you have that like, I don't know, something's goofy in your head and you're always like tense already. And then somebody like pushes that little button and you're just like, ah! Okay, it's exactly what happened. She's like, ah, oh, it's lovely. And I'm like, oh man, hope I don't die. Oh man, hope I don't die. And those of you who've ever been terrified by a friend of yours, okay, this guy, right here, okay, as you, as I'm just leaving the peripheral vision, okay, I'm within grasp, but I'm trying to like go around. All right, this guy does. I don't know where it came from, from inside of him, but he just went like this, <laughs> just huge noise, and he gripped my pants. And I was like, I am having none of this. So I turned into a chicken. I, I launched about six feet in the air and about 40 feet. Let go of my, my girl, girlfriend, wife at the time. And just like, Whoa! Okay? Just left her standing there. Left her standing there and landed by the double doors and turned around. I was like, <laughs> and she's like, what happened? What happened? Not a lot of man points. What we do to impress people. And then he, because it's San Francisco where they're doing things for money, right, on the street, he's like, hey, give me, give me a quarter. That was a good scare. I'm like, give me a doctor. I'm about ready to die. You know, he's like, no, I'm not going to give you a quarter. So we walked on and we came back around through. Not my most shining moment in the, uh, in, the, in the man department right there. Easter bunny. Scaredy cat. Chicken. Okay. If you know my dad, he's proper. Appearance is very important to him. He never has a hair out of place. He's been, a pro, he's been an administrator, a teacher, from elementary all the way through college. Um, he's type A. He's organized. He alphabetizes everything. And he wants everything. He's cool, calm, and collected in that sense. So you can imagine he and I growing up together, or me growing up in his house. Very, very interesting. But another funny thing that brings happiness and sometimes joy to our hearts is when we as older people go and revisit our childhoods. So my dad goes and revisits his childhood, always in control. But when he has an accident, it is like the worst kind of thing. 
because it's not, it doesn't happen often, but it's just this horrible, like, <gasps> dad, you know, kind of a moment for me. And so I had a bicycle, and you see them out, you see them out on the streets. They're the little mongoose bikes, all right, freewheel and double handbrakes, for those of you who know what I'm talking about. And then, you know, you're, you're big, and so you can't ride normal like this. you got to, like, like that. All right, so the, the handlebars are way forward, and the seat is plastic, and it's about that big. You might as well go sit on an axe, okay, because it was about that comfortable. All right, and my dad's a big guy. He outweighs me anywhere between, I don't know, 70 and 100 pounds. So he's, he's wider and thicker and wider and just big. And uh, he goes out to ride my bicycle to revisit his childhood. Now, we live on a cliff with a cul-de-sac at the bottom, and our driveway is flat like this. So none of us are around, but he comes out. He sees my bicycle. Hmm, I know how to ride a bike. I rode a bike for years as a child. He's in his late 40s, right? So he goes out, swings the leg. I hadn't ridden it in weeks. Back tire, kind of flat. Front tire, kind of flat. He didn't know, but I knew, he didn't know that both brakes, the cable, had snapped. So I had a really fast bike with no way to stop. And he is going to go revisit his childhood. Proper every hair in place, looking cool, calm, and collected. So he rolls out and takes that ride down this cliff of a thing. Now, in our house, in our neighborhood, we were the small house, and we had all these huge houses around us. And so we had, like, the expensive car, which was ours, $4,000, and then uh, the other cars, forty, sixty, dollars and $80,000, kind of around here like that. And so he goes down, and you know when you just, like, start to cruise, physics, mass, times, acceleration. So he has this big mass coming down this accelerating hill, and he starts to pull. He starts to, first of all, he puts his foot on the brake like the old bikes. Boom. Okay? This is his, his side of the story. So he's like, okay? Loses this leg, so this leg is now behind like this. Okay? Now he's heading toward those $60,000 and $80,000 vehicles right there, and he doesn't want to hit them because that's a problem. Okay? So he starts to lean. And those of you who have ever watched the street race bikes, okay? He doesn't have that gear, but he's doing their thing, and the tires are just like... <laughs> so he's laid over as far as he can go around these vehicles. Doesn't hit any of them. Okay? But at the cul-de-sac, if it was you, he would have he made it, but it's, a, it's more like a this, a C, like this. So he comes all the way down, and then he runs out of space right about here into the neighbor's driveway. Okay? Now, think about this man. 250 pounds, going like... <laughs> Okay, down this hill with a near-death experience. He comes around, saves it from the cars, saves it from all these things. Okay, his legs behind him. He's thinking he's going to die. And he comes around into this, into this uh, driveway. And then he meets, abruptly meets, four railroad ties into a hedge. Now, if you know my dad, we laughed ourselves sick when he told us this story because it is so not him. And so he's out of control and the bike just leaves him. And he like shamus, like straight through the hedge. Okay? This is his story telling us. He just like 250 pounds. Straight through. Twig whipped. All these like little leaves and everything. Okay? Like that. Rear end out the backside. Head out the front. And like... And the bike like... Up on the, you know, in the driveway. Now, guys, what do we do? The first thing we do when we have that kind of a thing. What do we do? We... Try to get up, but first we we check, right? So my dad is checking. Then he gets out. He told us this three days later. He was so mad. I was laughing because I thought it was hysterical. Picks up the picks up the bike with one hand, you know, across across the bar. Comes up, because 
Because when he gets angry, it's pretty funny too. Except you don't laugh when he's mad. And uh, you know, the, the drive, the driveway in the garage. He just took my bike. He didn't like lay it. Sandy just like threw it. He came in the house, and my mom, you know, Gary, that's his name. Gary, what happened? Because <laughs> it's all like red and pink. Because it from the sticks. And I said, Gary, what happened? You know stupid bike, and then we just lost it. My whole family just lost it. Things we do to make people happy. If you want to be more happy, make a splish. That's our acronym, splish. Bunnies, failure in the man points, revisiting our childhood. If you want to be more happy, make a splish, S-P-L-S-H. The first thing to do is simplify. I've told several of my students, you know what? Turn your phone off at 10 and sleep. Oh, I don't think I can do that. I'll die. You'll live. In my household, what I hope to do someday, if I ever have kids of my own that come home like every day, uh, I hope to just have random power outages. I'm just going to go out to the fuse and go, <coughs> I don't care if it's finals week. <coughs> Dad! Because, you know, they'll do something on the test the next day, but they'll always remember that moment creating those memories. And I'm not going to have flashlights either. I'm going to go candlelight. Because flashlights are too easy. <laughs> I can still read. <laughs> you know. I'm going to have candles, and we're going to have to actually get around a candle to read their homework. You know, not all the time, but just kind of occasionally. Simplify your life. Jesus says, let your yes be yes, and your no be no. Everything else is from the evil one. Say yes. Say no. And don't make excuses. You want to be more happy? Make a splish. S. Simplify. The next one is play outdoors. Um, it's kind of a lost art, I have learned. Play catch. I've even played catch in Target. Maybe I wouldn't recommend that, but I've done that. Um, kick a ball, ride some bicycles, play tag with the waves at the beach, water fights, stomp in puddles, go camping in your backyard. Get, out, get outside, do something a little bit different. S-P-L, laugh. Sit down on the curb and tell stories. If you're too old to sit on a curb, sit in a chair and tell stories. Sit on your patio and tell stories. Just laugh. Okay, if you like to watch people, go down to Seaport Village when the big ships come in. Go to the ferry landing at Coronado. Just watch people. You know, we've done this several times as well. We yell hello at people that we don't even know. Like from our truck, when my truck, when we're driving, we're like, hello! You know, it embarrasses our friends, but it's fun. You know, and they're like... <laughs> you know, somebody's having flowers, and we say, thank you for the flowers! You know, and they... Don't get arrested. But it is kind of fun. You know what? If that's all too much for you, if that's too much activity to laugh, do yourself this favor. I don't watch a lot of television, but there's one show that I will not miss this summer. The show is called Wipeout. Okay? June 22, Tuesday night, 8 o'clock. If you are nowhere else, be on your couch and watch humanity flail. You will laugh yourself sick. Laughter does do good like medicine, but you can't get sick from laughing, and that show will certainly do it for you. S-P-L-S-H. The second S. S is smile. Look at people in the eye and smile. Just smile. Smile at the market. Smile in traffic, because that's always kind of fun. <laughs> right? Smile at your office, and above all, smile at home. Smile in your house. You know, we can be so nice with the checker at Ralph's. Oh, thank you. Have a nice day. Plastic. And go off, right? Five seconds. Smile at home. Smile what it stands for. The S stands for security and who you are. There's no pretense. There's no facade. M is meaning, a significance <clears throat> to the other person. I is intentional, to improve somebody's day. L means you're likable. Jesus says, in the last days, the love of the world will go cold. What does a smile do? 
It reveals that you are not cold and callous. Period. A smile does that. You're likable. The E of smile. Encourage a person to take one more step in the day. S-P-L-S-H. Splish. The H is hug. you got to love the hugs. As a high school teacher, it's one of those things that is very, very meaningful because you don't know when you give what kind of a day they've had or are having, and they don't know when they give what kind of a day you've had or are having. And a hug is a huge thing. H stands for hold a person in a moment because you got to stop. Hold a person in a moment either of healing or of hilarity. You can laugh and hug and you can cry and hug. You can just stand there and sit there and hug. But you hold that person in a moment. The you understand words that may never be spoken. Parents, I cannot overemphasize that enough from what I hear. I got a note this year. And it was nice to have a hug. I didn't have a hug all summer. Are you kidding me? Understand the words that are never spoken. G of hug. Give of yourself to your children, your family, your friends, your loved ones, those who need comfort and those who need companionship. If you want to be more happy, make a splish. S-P-L-S-H. Those of you who are critically minded can probably say to me, well, thanks a lot for taking me to Barnes & Noble in the self-help section. That sounds pretty familiar. Saving me $300 on a weekend retreat to simplify my life. Thanks for that, pal. You know what? It's right. Happiness isn't supernatural. Atheists and Adventists can be as happy as anybody else. Happiness is not supernatural. So you can go to that self-help store. You can get all those books. Change your life in five seconds. Happy. You can. But that's not supernatural. That's where joy makes a difference. And for the last few minutes of the talk this morning, I want to inform you and hopefully encourage you to see the difference. Happiness is not useless, but happiness is temporary. Joy is different. In the words of C.S. Lewis, he says, Joy is the serious business of heaven. By definition, joy is a deeply fulfilling experience of giving of yourself that no one can take away and no one can repay. Ever. Joy is a result. It is a fruit of the Spirit that comes from God. It is not natural in a sinful, broken world. Joy is not natural. It is supernatural. And that's what makes it different from from happiness. Joy is supernatural because it comes from God. As you experience, as you follow, as you obey the promptings of the Holy Spirit in your life, you will experience joy. You feel happy. You experience joy. Galatians 5. Several verses, and I'll give them to you. When the Holy Spirit controls our lives, this is from the New Living Translation, He, that is the Holy Spirit, will produce this kind of fruit in you, this kind of result will be in your life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. That is supernatural because that does not come naturally to to the human that is fallen and broken. Okay? Love, first seen in joy, resulting in peace and patience and kindness. Likewise, I say to you, Jesus, Luke chapter 15, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repents. Go back to creation. It's good. Woo! Do it again. There is joy, experiential relationship joy in heaven when we repent. 
It's not some polite clap either. You read Revelation, you have people falling on their faces for eternity, crowns being thrown around. It is like a big deal. Brothers and sisters, maybe you like this one too. James chapter 1. Whenever trouble comes your way, let it be an opportunity for joy. For when, you, when your t- faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be strong in character, ready for anything. Trials to joy. John chapter 15. Jesus to his disciples. When you obey me, you remain in my love. Just as I obey my Father, remain in his love. I have told you this so that your joy may be full. Yes, your joy may even be overflowing. Your experiential relationship with me will be overflowing. It will be never ending. It will not be conditional. It will be an experience. I command you to love each other. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. Jesus says, I command you to love each other so that your joy may be complete. How do you measure this love, he asked him. The greatest love is shown when people lay down their lives. You cannot repay ever. That is joy. When you lay down your lives for your friends. What does Hebrews 12 remind us of? We are running the race, Paul says, and he brings Jesus into the heart of this race. And he says, look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. That's not happy. That's not temporary. That is a gift from the maker of the universe to every single one of us. And Jesus had to look past the cross at some level to say, it's worth it. For the joy set before him. Joy is supernatural. It is a gift from God as a result of experiencing God in our lives. So if you're happy, and you know it, Go ahead and clap your hands. If you want to be more happy, make a splish. Thank you. But when you're joyful, that is from heaven. A fruit of the Spirit that God has given. You can be completely burned out by day number seven, or you can count it all joy and really get to live in.